0: Welcome to The Podlight, the audio collaboration between Silicon Valley Synergy and San Jose Spotlight. I'm your host, Bob Stedler. We have a great show today. We'll be talking about the legality of the Measure H card tables, vote, sanction homeless encampments, and the City of San Jose golf courses. With me today is San Jose Spotlight editor, Nick Preciato. Hey, Bob. Welcome, Nick, great talk with you today.
1: You too, thanks for having me.
0: So let's start with the Measure H card table measure. This is a fascinating story. The City cuts a deal with card rooms. The city goes out to the voters. Voters approve the measure. The change in tax happens. And now the California Gambling Control Commission ruled that both Bay 101 and Casino Matrix already reached 49 tables each. We're talking serious dollars in the syntax. What is the background of the story?
1: Yeah, so there's a bit of background with the story. Um, At the end of last year, voters in San Jose approved Measure H, uh, which allows local casinos, card rooms to be precise, to increase the number of tables they have. Uh, Measure H promised voters a maximum of 128 tables total. That's 64 each at San Jose's two card rooms, uh, Bay 101 Casino and Casino Matrix. As a trade off, the casinos agreed to pay the city 1.5% more in taxes, uh, with that money going to support public services. That's things such as fire protection, emergency responses, road repairs, youth programs, and even homeless prevention. Um, The casinos previously had taxes raised on them by about 2% in 2010 with Measure K. Uh, That also increased the card room table cap from 40 to 49 tables per casino. So the casinos will pay higher taxes, but now there's an issue where they might not get those extra tables. Uh, In April, the California Gambling Control Commission, they ruled that uh, both of the city's card rooms reached their maximum number of tables. That's 49 each, and that's actually the maximum amount allowed under state law.
0: What is the perspective of the California Gambling Control
1: Commission? Well, the commission feels like both San Jose card rooms have already reached their maximum amount of tables as allowed under state law. Uh, Our reporter spoke to a spokesperson, Fred Castano. He said that the increase in tables beyond 49 is inconsistent with the state's Gambling Control Act.
0: What is the relationship between these two groups in the state of California?
1: Yeah, so Bay 101 is actually suing the state. Uh, they filed a suit last month in an attempt to overturn the commission's ruling to allow for more tables. Uh, that suit is still pending.
0: Wow, that's that's not an easy situation to be in when you're asking for something. So wh- where's the, what's the city land on this?
1: So Mayor Sam Licardo told San Jose Spotlight that he has no objection to the Gambling Commission's ruling. Uh, that actually tracks with previous actions that he's taken um, – Back when they placed this on the ballot, uh, he actually was the lone no vote on the city council uh, with placing this. Uh, that's a different take compared to the city itself. City administrators are actually defending Measure H, and Deputy City Manager Lee Wilcox actually said that the city believes the gambling commission's decision is wrong. So th- they're pushing back on this a bit.
0: Wow, this is this is gonna this is gonna be a bit of a sticky wicket. Uh, does this mean that the increased tax on the card rooms will stand, even though the state won't increase the number of tables?
1: Uh, yes, at least that's how it looks right now. So San Jose is counting on this increased revenue from taxing the casinos. COVID-19 impacted the casinos, just like it did countless other businesses, but that lack of revenue also hit the city. Um, revenue is estimated to have dropped uh, from about $1.9 million in 2019 to $13.5 million in 2020. So I think the city is really banking on that increased tax revenue.
0: Does the city have any idea how long it's going to take to resolve this issue?
1: Uh, no, that's unclear at this time. I, I think that's really going to depend on what's happening with Bay 101's pending litigation uh, with the state. And what happens there, I think, will inform how the city moves forward.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch this one. I think the state of California, I, don't, I just can't see them budging. And I don't see a judge wanting to step into into syntaxes these days.
1: Definitely. Especially, I mean, if 49 is the cap allowed under state law, I really can't see how this one lawsuit is going to change that for the entire state the state would have to bump the cap up to something higher
0: so our next story that we're talking about this week on the podlight is sanctioned homeless encampments san jose residents have been clamoring for years about the homeless encampments throughout the city business and property owners in downtown demanded the city take action last february there was even a complaint in 2019 of the homeless camp that you can see off of coleman avenue under the flight path So, Nick, what is the latest from the city on their ability to create a sanctioned homeless encampment?
1: Yeah, so that doesn't seem like it's going to be happening anytime soon. Uh, On Tuesday, the San Jose City Council unanimously voted to reject the plan for sanctioned homeless encampments. These are um, designated spaces where unhoused residents could stay without having to worry about being cleared out. Um, With these designated camps, the idea is that the city would provide sanitation and hygiene services. That's things like uh, Porta potties and picking up trash at the site, uh, but this is a real mixed bag for the city. There's a real need to address homelessness throughout San Jose, but officials aren't sure if sanctioned encampments are actually the right way to tackle homelessness. Um, but despite the plan's rejection, council members did agree to stop clearing out encampments on short notice. Uh, now the city is going to give unhoused people living in encampments a notice of about 60 days uh, or at least 60 days before clearing out a camp. Uh, This is a pretty new direction for the city, which in the past they were sweeping encampments with little to no notice at all. Yeah,
0: it'll be interesting to see if the public really appreciates that change in 60 days. I just think they're going to look at this as more red tape, and it's just going to increase the displeasure of the community.
1: Certainly, and I mean, if they don't have anywhere to move people, that's really what's at issue here. They can clear out as many camps as they want, but the people are either going to return or they're going to find... Somewhere new to camp out at if they don't have housing.
0: Yeah, it's it's not it's not an easy question. So, what is the argument that the city has against this idea?
1: So, city officials are concerned that they don't actually have the capacity to manage sanctions encampments. Um, One city employee actually said that only five people deal with homeless issues in the city's housing department right now. That's nowhere near the amount of workers needed to tackle the issue of homelessness, um, especially considering the most recent homeless census in 2020. That recorded over 6,000 unhoused residents in San Jose. That's about an increase of 1,800 people compared to the previous homeless count in 2017. And it's even estimated that there's about 10,000 homeless people across Santa Clara County as a whole. Um, It's not just city employees who have concerns about these sanctioned encampments, though. There are also some concerns from city council members. Uh, As I said before, the vote was unanimous to reject this plan. Um, Councilmember Matt Mahan, for example, um, he supports testing if the city can manage a homeless encampment, but he's got worries that if the city tries to provide a broader set of services than they are right now, it could become too expensive for them to manage. Um, He also shared concerns about the city legally sanctioning a space for an encampment, um, there's some concern that a sanctioned encampment could be a public safety liability for the city if somebody got hurt or if there was some kind of incident on the site. So I don't know if council members are really up for the city taking potential liability there. Uh, there's also Mayor Licardo. Um He feels that the city should double down on what works instead of chasing ideas they haven't tried yet. Uh, He pointed to data showing the city moved about 3,000 homeless people off the streets and into emergency housing or temporary housing since the pandemic began. So I think he's looking more at continuing the services that are already in place.
0: Yeah, so I I don't think his thing of doubling down on things that already work passes the eyeball test to the the broader community looking out at the homeless situation. I don't think anybody would say, wow, this is 30% better. Um, another interesting thing that happened during that council conversation, I think, believe is Councilmember Cohen, who said is, you know, to a staff member, to a deputy director, you know, do you need more money for staff for, you know, homeless prevention? And she said no. And that was really shocking to me that when a staff person is offered more resources that they decline them. So speaking of resources, you know, how much money is the city spending on homeless programs?
1: Well, yeah, it's interesting that you brought that up. Um, so, in 2020, the city spent about 57 million on homeless programs. That's 42 million more than what they spent the previous year, 2019. Uh, the problem with that is a good chunk of that money is temporary funding related to the pandemic. So, that's not going to be around once the pandemic is over. So, maybe there's a little concern from city staff there just on that they don't have the funds but like you said i mean if they're being offered more money and they don't think they need it that that doesn't seem to line up with where the city is currently at addressing homeless problems yeah i was just pretty shocked that, to to hear that
0: so you know speaking of encampments and and you know what's you know liable and legal isn't there a large encampment of mobile homes near the fairgrounds what are they saying about that
1: yes um there are about a dozen maybe a couple dozen rvs there um so there's currently an rv park at the fairgrounds our reporter vicente vera actually did a great article about this at the end of april um the rv park at the fairgrounds is meant to be a short stay location but because of the pandemic numerous rvers have been there long term and there's no real chance that they're going to get evicted with the current moratorium in place that might change at the end of june um there are plans to revitalize the fairgrounds, and those include closing that RV park. Uh, back in January, county supervisors approved a plan to build um, you know, features like go-kart racing tracks, a virtual reality arcade, some outdoor activities like zip lining, and those would all be developed at the current RV park. Uh, nothing has been finalized yet. The pandemic, of course, has caused delays, and there are still things in development, but it does seem... It's almost an inevitability that it's only a matter of time before this RV park closes and there's just that many more people that are going to be left looking for a place to stay.
0: So what are the next steps on this encampment issue?
1: So uh, at the city council meeting earlier this week, council members asked uh, city officials to come back in the future with more research on whether or not sanctioned encampments help solve the issue of homelessness. Uh, Council members really want to see how expensive it would be to manage an encampment, and also if it's a better approach than what they're doing already with things like emergency housing, tiny homes, and other low-cost approaches. Um, Staff did mention that it could take about a year to bring an encampment to fruition, so it doesn't seem like this is going to come back in the near future. Maybe for discussion, but as far as actually implementing a sanctioned encampment, I think we're still a ways away, if at all.
0: Yeah, I I just... I just think the public is going to get more and more frustrated, and I think the the political optics on this is that it's mayor running season, and it's going to be interesting to see how this affects candidates running for mayor, and if anybody new jumps into the political fray.
1: Yes, definitely, and you know, even one council member, and the name escapes me at the moment, but one council member was actually asking others to pony up, and that if they support this idea of a sanctioned encampment, that they should be finding locations in their own districts to house homeless people. it's a very strong point. Um, so we'll we'll just need to see what happens. I think that this issue isn't far from over, and it'll probably be something we follow in the near future. Yeah,
0: it, it's not going to calm down anytime soon. So the last story that we're discussing this week on the Podlight is the city of San Jose-owned golf courses. So as the vaccination rate is ramping up and the weather is improving, how are the city of San Jose golf courses varying?
1: Uh, The golf courses are actually uh, faring pretty well. Uh, The sport saw a lot of growth during the pandemic with residents looking for something to do outdoors. One resident we spoke to actually was making the case that it was one of the only things you could do outdoors when the pandemic first started. Um, So the city's got three golf courses. There's San Jose Municipal, Los Lagos, and then there's Rancho del Pueblo in East San Jose. All three of those courses saw an increase in the amount of people playing golf during the pandemic. So from May, 2020 to April, 2021, Muni saw a 44% increase in players compared to that same time period in 2018, 2019. Uh, Meanwhile, Los Lagos saw an increase of 53% and Rancho had an increase in players of 110%. That's the largest out of all of them. Yeah.
0: You know, for the record, you know, I just back in my redevelopment days, I supported selling Rancho do Pueblo golf course in the past. And my thought and what we were pushing was turning the driving range at the street level into open space and the lit soccer fields. and we got a lot of pushback on that and it got real political. Um, and I'm just skeptical that the economic boom will keep the city on golf courses profitable and they've you know lost probably what, tens of millions of dollars in the last 20 years. Um, so what kind of turnaround are we talking about on the revenue side?
1: Yeah. So you mentioned profitability. Uh, These courses have been a drain on the city for some time. And as you also mentioned, there was previously talk of selling them off or at least selling one of them off. Um, Back in 2015, there was an audit that showed the city paid more than $2 million a year to keep all three courses open. Uh, From 2014 to 2015, Los Lagos and Rancho del Pueblo had combined total losses of $600,000. And uh, the following year or a couple years, 2016, 2017, the city paid over $600,000 just to subsidize Los Lagos alone. Now, things seem to be better now, or at least they're getting better. The golf courses are expected to be more profitable because the city has been able to eliminate outstanding debt, plus that increase in local players. Um, Jim Shannon, he's the budget director for the city manager's office. He actually said that the three courses are expected to generate $1 million uh, in income for the city this year. So definitely some profit coming in. It seems like more profit than they've made in a long time.
0: Yeah, that's, that's just a great turnaround. So what does Councilmember Crasco feel about the golf course in her district?
1: Yeah, so the councilmember is against closing Rancho del Pueblo. Um, she told us that it's one of the only patches of green left in her district. That's District 5 in East San Jose. Um, so she's advocating for keeping the golf course open and said that the pandemic has actually made Rancho del Pueblo even more essential than before. Uh, It's a place, you know, where residents can go for outdoor recreation. And uh, Carrasco even said that open space is important for residents' health and well-being. I think that's pretty um, easy to see given that people want to be outdoors, having been cooped up all year. But uh, the golf course really gives them a larger place to be outdoors.
0: How optimistic is the city of San Jose's budget office on this turnaround lasting?
1: I'd say they're relatively optimistic. So city officials anticipate growth in the sport to continue, and there are some national numbers that I can touch on in a minute about that. Um, So there's going to be some growth in revenue, but they don't expect that growth to stay at the same level as it has been over the past year. Um, As I just mentioned, there's some numbers at the national level that support the sports growth. Uh, According to the National Golf Federation, 24.8 million Americans golfed last year. That's about half a million more people compared to 2019. And they also state that 6.2 million of those were newcomers to the sport. Um, According to the National Golf Federation, they also state that last year was the greatest increase for beginner golfers, youth and women, and that uh, the millennial generation actually increased the number of rounds they played by 13%, with people under the age of 40 comprising about 44% of players. Uh, if that trend continues, not just nationally, but locally in San Jose, the city could see some revenue from its three courses. I think that there's also a little competition going on here, though, with Top Golf that just opened in Alviso. That's not a city-owned course. It's a private business that's been pretty popular from what we've been hearing since it opened a month or two ago. Um, so that's really going to give the city courses a run for its money, at least for people more interested in going to like a driving range or being able to sit at the bar and watch TV, have a little more of an indoor experience compared to the outdoor experience of traditional golf.
0: The top golf experience kind of offers you a luxury box combined with golfing. And, you know, I've seen, you know, how successful it's been in other parts of the country, such as Oklahoma City, where it's just, I think it's the number four top golf in the nation. I'm not really sure, but it's really popular and it'll be interesting to see. And I think, you know, the city is going to have to see how the next two or three years go on revenue and then have to make a difficult decision. Um, But, you know, wish them all the best.
1: Yeah, definitely. We'll need to see if they're going to end up selling one or some of these courses. It kind of like you pointed out, I think it'll depend on the profitability of it and just, how many players they can bring in, how much revenue they can bring into the city. And, you know, I'd be interested to see what the city plans to do with that revenue. If that's something that they're just going to use for the general fund, or if maybe they'd even put that back into the courses themselves. Yeah.
0: I just, I just think with the deferred maintenance issues and everything else, it, they might be just taking all that profit and putting it back in there. And, and there's nothing to say the city couldn't sell it to a golf operator and leave it as a golf course, but have somebody who let me just be polite and say, runs things a little bit more efficiently and, not, you know, the overhead costs of the pensions and everything. it'll It'll be interesting to see how this plays out.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, again, thank you, Nick, for joining me this week.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Bob.
0: This episode of the Podlight is brought to you by San Jose Spotlight, the city's only nonprofit community supported newsroom. We need your support to continue providing independent political and business reporting to the nation's tenth largest city. Becoming a sustainable member today for as little as five dollars a month, And you'll receive exclusive member benefits, including free admission to our educational events, panel discussions, and more. You can sign up for our free newsletter, The Daily Spotlight, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Join the movement today. Learn more at SanJoseSpotlight.com. That's SanJoseSpotlight.com. This has been The Podlight, a collaboration between Silicon Valley Synergy and San Jose Spotlight. I'm Bob Stedler. We'll see you next week.